0: All right, good morning, good morning. Good to be with you, church. How is everyone doing this morning, good? All right, who wants to talk about complaining and negativity and grumbling? We're not gonna touch on gossip this morning, so I'm I'm letting you off the hook, okay? All right, we are in Numbers chapter 11. I'm gonna waste no time because I got a lot of ground to cover, so there's your intro, all right? Pull out, the, pull out your Bible, God's word, God's truth, final soul authority of truth. Amen. Pull that out and we're going to be in Numbers chapter 11 today. Uh, we're back in our Moses series. We're going to be in Moses for 10 weeks. Okay, for 10 weeks we're going to be in Moses. Today we're going to be talking about attitude adjustment. We all need to have at times in our lives an attitude adjustment. I, I might step on some toes this morning as I'm stepping on my own before I step on yours. So we're going to talk about it, okay? Numbers chapter 11, turn there and keep your hand there because we're going to be looking at that chapter together. I want to encourage you to pull out your notes. I've got some fill in the blanks for you. I've got a lot of scripture verses, so not much room to write. You're just going to have to write in the margins and, and uh, we will get through it together, all right? All um, right. The focus now is the Israelites wandering in the wilderness. Okay, so we've 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 brought in the narrative to this point of the story. So God's raised up a deliverer. God's people have been delivered, rescued from bondage, oppression, uh, genocide, infanticide. Moses this prophet, this servant, this leader, this deliverer. He ultimately points us to Jesus. He brings God's people out of Egypt by the strong and mighty arm of the Lord. God performs these amazing miracles. They they leave Egypt. God's given them freedom, parts of the Red Sea, and they begin their wandering in the wilderness. God gives them the Ten Commandments, which is really just the, the intro, the beginning of the Mosaic Law. So, and So this is where we're at. So today we're going to be in the book of Numbers. It's the fourth book in the Old Testament. It's part of the Pentateuch. It's the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Moses wrote all five books uh, of of the Old Testament, the first five, the Pentateuch. Now, the book of Numbers covers 38 years of wandering in the wilderness. So we, we've only scratched the surface. The, the few stories we've looked at only scratch in the surface. 38 years of wandering in the wilderness by the Israelites before they enter the promised land. Here's the context. Let me give you a quick context. God has given his people the law. He's revealed who he is and he's commanded them how to live. The nation of Israel leaves Sinai, and they go to the wilderness of Paran. Let me say, let me just make a kind of a interject here, real quick. When you he, when you hear people say, "Well, you know, we're under grace, not law," so the Ten Commandments and 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 the truth principles of God's word in the Old Testament, they don't apply to us. Here's what you just need to say, maybe not to them, but in your mind, you don't know what you're talking about. Okay. The Old Testament applies to us today as believers. It's God's moral law. It applies to us. So God, in his grace, in his love, he reveals who he is. He reveals his nature, his character to Moses and the people. And he lays out, he gives them this this foundation. He gives them the perfect blueprint for how to build their lives and build their marriages and, and build relationships with other people. And so God in his grace, he does this, right? He doesn't leave his people floundering or, or, you know, just to themselves. This is the mercy of God. God gives his people his word, just like he gives us his word today. The nation of Israel, they leave Sinai, they go to the wilderness of Paran. Now, look at Numbers chapter 10. Back up real quick. Numbers 10, 11 to 12. This is the context. This is going to frame our discussion this morning. In the second year, so everything we've looked at takes us to this point, takes us to year two. In the second year, in the second month, on the 20th day of the month, the cloud lifted from over the tabernacle of the testimony. Now, the tabernacle, God Instructed Moses, build this tabernacle. This is where my presence uh, will dwell. And this is what Moses did. and, and, And the people made sacrifices. We know all about that. And then it says, and the people of Israel set out by stages from the wilderness of Sinai. And the clouds settled down in the wilderness of Paran. You know what I love about this? Not just the context of where we're at. But I love how God, he was very gracious to his people. He said, Here, here's the deal. When, when the, the cloud of fire, when it moves, that's when you move. The cloud of fire is going to give you warmth. It's going to give you light. But when the cloud is, is not there, settle down, right? And so they're two years in. They start traveling. Now, let's look at the end of chapter 10, verses 33 to 34. So they set out from the Mount of the Lord, okay, Mount Sinai, Three days journey. I want you to underline that. That is going to be so critical. So they leave the mount of the Lord. I mean, do you remember how like the people couldn't go up and Moses went up and God came down and flashes of lightning and his glory and the kind of glory was just blazing on that mountain. The people experienced God. They experienced his glory and his presence. Only Moses could go up there. And Moses spent a long time up there. We know that. Now it says they leave the mount, they leave Mount Sinai, three days' journey. And the ark of the covenant of the Lord went before them, three days' journey, to seek out a resting place for them. And the cloud of the Lord was over them by day whenever they set out from the camp. So you have the pillar of fire at night, the cloud during the day. Now before we jump into Numbers 11, big ideas complaining, I want to share two quick Uh, passages in the new testament second timothy chapter 3 16 16 to 17 all scripture is breathed out by god your translation may say inspired by god literally breathed out inspired by god and profitable for teaching for reproof for correction for training in righteousness that the man of god may be complete equipped for every good work so what does it say What does it say, church? All scripture. Someone say all scripture. Old Testament, New Testament, 39 in the old, 27 in the new. Every book, every chapter, every verse, all scripture is what? Inspired, breathed out by God. This, we hold the very words of God in our hands this morning. People wonder, is there a God? There is a God because he's revealed himself to us. We can know him. So the book of Numbers is a part of that all. Y'all, right? It's inspired by God. God preserved his word so that we could know him. and We could walk with him. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, look at 1 Corinthians. First Corinthians, another book that the Apostle Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit to, to pen to the church Notice what he says. Now these things, speaking of Old Testament saints' stories, these things took place as examples for us. Circle or underline that word examples. That we might not desire evil as they did. Underline that. Desire evil. Do not be idolaters. As some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents nor grumble, underline that. We're going to talk about grumbling. And I challenge you, challenge you to go home and not make one grumbling statement the rest of the day. I dare you. I double dog dare you, okay? You ever try to do that? You know, I'm gonna go one whole day and I'm not gonna be negative, I'm not gonna grumble, I'm not gonna complain. You better give that to Jesus, I'm telling you. It says, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happen to them as an example. Underline that word example again. I mean, Paul's like hitting it again. Anytime the scripture hits something over and over and over again, it's trying to get your attention, right? So he's saying these things happened to them as, a, as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. Whose instruction? Our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. So what we have in the Old Testament is for us. Hmm, kind of interesting. When people say, well, the Old Testament, you know, the Ten Commandments and, you know, the law, that, that, that's just applied to Israel. Listen, they don't understand what they're talking about. The ceremonial, yes, applied to Israel. The civil laws applied to Israel, but not just the moral law. The moral law is transferable. It transfers to us. Yes, Jesus came and he fulfilled the law in every aspect. Dietary, ceremonial, civil, moral, he fulfilled it. We are righteous because of Christ, not because of laws and traditions and rules and religion that we keep. So Paul is really clear, God's really clear that listen, I've given you the Old Testament and it's served to you and these examples are given to you so that you might learn from them. You know, what's that famous one-liner? Learn from other people's mistakes. You know, Um, we got to do that. You know, sometimes we're just too hard-headed and we don't learn from other people's mistakes. Can I get amen? Right? Anybody ha- any- has anyone had to learn the hard way? You know, how many of you how many of you, when you were young you were like, "You know what? I'm going to go I'm going to do it my way." I'm 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 going to go my way. Well, your way as Dave Ramsey calls it is you pay the dumb tax. Right? <laughs> Let other people pay the dumb tax for you, right? Learn from other people's mistakes. But in order to learn from people, guess what you gotta have? You gotta have humility. You gotta be teachable. You gotta be moldable, right? You gotta be willing to to learn from other people. So, Paul is saying, learn from other people's mistakes. God didn't have to do this, it's his Loving kindness, it's his grace, it's his mercy. He, he's given us the word of God so that we might grow and become more like him and, and avoid the pitfalls that other people have fallen into. All right, Numbers chapter 11. <laughs> There's your intro. Numbers 11, we're going to cover a lot of ground. Ready? Numbers 11, one to three. Matt do me a huge favor. In that cry room, there's some water bottles. Grab me a water bottle. I'm like parched, man. All right. All right. You guys ready? Numbers chapter 11, one to three. Matt looks at me and he's like, he's got big deer. He's got eyes like, oh, what's going on? What's, what's going on? All right. Poor Matt. I put him on the spot. All right. You guys ready? Okay, here we go. Here we go. As As Matt's going to bring me the water, he's the man. Everyone give it up for Matt. He's our sound guy. Isn't he amazing? You're awesome, dude. Wow. Some of you are grossed out by that, huh? Swishing water in your mouth? You're welcome. All right. Oh, my goodness. I feel so much better. The people have been grumbling about water. Water is a precious, refreshing thing, right? They're going to start complaining about meat. We're going to look at it. All right. That that was not intentional built into the sermon, but here we go. Verses one to three. And the people complained. Someone say complained. In the hearing of the Lord. Do you think God heard them? Oh, you better believe he did. Can you go anywhere and say anything where God doesn't hear you? No, all right. So they complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled. And the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. Can you imagine? I mean, you complain, God hears, and God shows up, right? The outlying skirts of the camp burned, right? And you think that got the people's attention? You better believe it did. The people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord. He's a type of Jesus. He's foreshadowing Christ. He's an intercessor. That's what Jesus does. He intercedes for you. We cry out, Jesus takes our prayers to the Father. He intercedes for us. So Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire and the fire died down. So the name of that place was called Tiburah because the fire of the Lord burned among them. Here's point number one. When you're not content, you put God to the test. You put him to the test. Now this is going to be, this might be more of a hard message, right? Because this is so real for us. I mean, who doesn't struggle with complaining? Who doesn't? Okay, exactly. I, sometimes I ask questions, and people start raising their hand. I'm thinking, put your hand down, put your hand, put your hand down. All right. When you're not content, you put God to the test. The text says, the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. You can't go anywhere without God hearing you. God hears your complaining. He hears my complaining. He hears our negativity. Someone has defined complaining this way. Very similar to the definition I looked up this week express dissatisfaction with a circumstance that is not wrong. It's a dissatisfaction with something that is not wrong. It's, it's not morally wrong, it's not sinful, you just don't like it. God is telling us in Numbers chapter 11 don't be a complainer. How many of you maybe have a friend? I was gonna say a spouse. Uh, A friend that is um, more glass half empty, I'll say it that way, Um, has a tendency, proclivity, to want to complain, be critical, nitpick, go on and on and on about their trials and about how life is not good and God's not good. I can't hang out with those people. I just can't do it. I just, I can't do it. No one likes complainers. We all complain. But some people, they complain a lot. Can I get an amen on on that, right? I mean, a lot, right? You pick up the phone call and they start complaining. You're like, why did I pick up the phone? Why did I? God hears our complaining. God hates our complaining. God shows up. It says the fire of God fell down. Now you might say, man, that that seems really harsh. God isn't a fan of discontentment. He isn't a fan of discontentment. I want you to think about it this way. The more you know, the more you're accountable. The people are held accountable for what they know. You have to understand, they just left Mount Sinai. they saw the flashes of lightning, the glory of God. Moses came down. He said, I, I, I saw the glory of the Lord. He comes down with tablets. Now Aaron got them into some whack idolatry, and they started worshiping the golden calf, and their heart starts drifting. It is so easy for our hearts to drift, right? I mean, here, here the people are, right? They, they, God's revealed himself on Mount Sinai, He's revealed who he is, he's given them the Mosaic law, the Ten Commandments. Why did God give us the Ten Commandments? Not to hurt us, but to help us. Not to hamper us, but to release us. Not to punish us, but to protect us. The Ten Commandments are not the Ten Suggestions, right? If you have time, squeeze them in. You know, if it feels good, then do it, obey. No, they're not optional, these are commands. These are principles, these are directives. God, God's commandments are life. God's word gives you life, God's word gives you freedom. See, when you encounter Christ and you, you, you experience his grace, which is undeserved, you're a sinner, he's a great savior. He died for you, that's grace. You can have salvation, it's a gift. It's not something you do. You don't earn it. You don't work for it. He freely gives it to those who jettison sin and place their faith in Christ. You embrace Christ as your Savior, the only hope, the only way to heaven, you'll be saved. If you reject Christ, you'll go into a Christless eternity. Isolation. Spiritual decomposition. Forever you will experience an eternal state of hopelessness and despair. God gives us opportunities to embrace him by faith. God's grace forgives and sets us free. And then the mission is you want to please the Lord, you want to live for him. Grace leads to freedom, it it leads to life. So Numbers chapter 11 this is on the heels of God revealing himself to his people. He's holding them accountable. Fire falls. Right? In the Old Testament, just recently, God commanded Moses, set up the tabernacle, place of worship, right? And so the tabernacle in the wilderness, that's where God's presence would dwell. In the New Testament, the night before Jesus was brutally crucified, he told his disciples, "The Holy Spirit is coming." another helper, an advocate, and he will dwell within you. So no longer do we go to a place to experience the presence of God. We are the temple of God. Your body, your life is the temple. God indwells you as a believer. When you get saved, God moves in. His presence moves in. His power moves in. And he's doing a uh, a transforming work in your life. If you're a believer, the Spirit of God lives within you. So today, the fire of God's not going to drop and you know, completely just obliterate you. But the Bible is very clear that as believers, our goal is to please Christ. We have been enlisted as a soldier, Paul told Timothy, right? Fight the good fight, right? Live for Christ. And so our aim should be to please God, not to please people around us, not to please your spouse, not to please your children, not to please your grandchildren. Those things are good if they're godly and right, but to please Christ. His approval matters more than anything. How you live your life, how you honor him is more important than what people think of you. The fire of God's not gonna drop on your life, but we can quench the spirit of God like, a, like, a, like the, a, the fire that's lit, we can, if we sin, we grieve, we could, we could quench the spirit, we could take the flame, we could take the passion out of our lives. Numbers chapter 11, verse 4, pick up the story. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, oh, that we had meat to eat. Here's point number two. Discontentment happens when you're not satisfied in God. This is what happens. When you're not satisfied in God, discontentment creeps in. It mentions the rabble. Well, who, who's the rabble? Well, if you go back to Exodus 12, it talks about a mixed multitude came out of Egypt besides the 600,000 men leaving Egypt. The rabble, based on my study, people are saying the rabble were people that had interfaith marriages, not, let me say this again not interracial marriages because the cross breaks all that down, right? There's, breaks down gender, right? Breaks down socioeconomic, right? We are one in Christ. And so if you claim to love God, you're gonna love your brother. All right, I'm I'm not gonna chase that. But the rabble, interfaith marriages, one spouse believed in Yahweh, one spouse didn't. Parents, your goal is to raise christ worshipers your goal is not to make your kids happy it's not to make sure your kids like you listen i tell my kids all the time i love you i take a bullet for you but i'm not your friend right now i'm your parent god's put me in your life to steward you he's entrusted you to my care my job is to provide protect spiritually lead you now they agree with everything that i tell them to do they 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 think everything's great right? No. Someday we're going to have a relationship, right? We're shoulder to shoulder. We're together. These are coaching years. Parents, you have a responsibility to raise your children in the Lord and to tell them to marry in the Lord. That's not popular. People don't like to hear that. That's the fact. That's the word. That's the truth. I mean, all right. The rabble. They had this strong craving, right? It says it's strong craving. I, I I didn't provide it for you, but I wanted to read it. Psalm seventy-eight. They tested God in their heart by demanding the food they craved. They spoke against God, saying, Can God spread a table in the wilderness? They were testing God, they were doubting God. God, you can't spread a table, you can't come through, you're not big enough, you're not powerful enough, you're not loving enough, you can't do this. The people were saying, God, your provision is not enough. Man. I'm so guilty there. I'm so guilty. You you, you don't understand, You, you, you don't understand what a pastor goes through it's lonely there's so many things that you can share it but people they're not gonna understand it's it's lonely at times it's hard doing ministry you know you're serving God but you're trying to shepherd and care for people you're trying to lead with vision you're trying to steward things you're trying to take care of a staff and you're accountable ultimately to a board and the church and there's a lot of responsibility there's a lot of burdens there And there have been times in my life where where I've said to God, God, your provision is not enough. What do I mean by that? God, I want more people at Summit. And I've checked my heart on it. I think my heart's pretty pure, but there is some impure motives there somewhere. Somewhere it's always been about Jesus This has never been about me it, it's always about Jesus so I think there's this this holy discontent I, I want to reach more people for Christ but at times I struggle with God like can't we have more God, more people more people getting saved more staff more more budget more, so we more resources so we can do more ministry some of those things are good but then mixed in there it's not good there's some complaining there. Where in your life do you complain? Where in your life do you say, "God, your provision is not enough. God, you're not cutting it. I want more." The rabble, they were like, "We want more." They were so not satisfied with God. This is the, this is one of the big ten commandments, right? Thou shalt not covet. Coveting is an ungodly discontented desire, it's this sinful attitude of the heart, right? It, it, it's this desire to, to, it's a desire for something, it's, it's to long after. It's this internal commandment, right? It's not external, people can't see it, but it's in all of our lives. It's there, it's, it's lodged within us, this, this attitude of coveting and not being content with what God has given to us. Numbers 11, five to six. Notice what they say. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt. <laughs> we remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. Point three, when you're not content, your perspective is off. Your perspective is off. When you... Allow yourself to complain and be negative. Guess what? That distorts reality. It it, it puts a blinder in front of God's faithfulness, in front of his goodness, in front of his past provision. When you're discontent, you forget about God's past faithfulness. Has God been good to you? Let me ask that again. Has God been good to you? I mean, can you look back on your life and say, God's been faithful to me. I I could do that in my life. That's not always on the, the, the front burner, the front radar screen. But when I really think about how has God moved in my life, he's been so, so faithful. The people are like saying, we remember the fish. Oh, baloney, you didn't eat fish. You did not eat fish. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt, Moses. It cost us nothing. Oh, yeah, nothing? You were a bunch of bricklayers. You were building pyramids. You were used and abused. Oh, wow. You remember the fish and the melons and the cucumbers and the leeks and the garlic, but you don't remember the taskmasters? The inflicting, inflicting heavy burdens? You don't remember that you were slave labor. that they ruthlessly made you work as slaves, that there was genocide, there was infanticide, they were murdering your children. They weren't fleeing from some opulent, beautiful palace. They were fleeing slavery. They were fleeing oppression. Exodus chapter two, 23 to 25, during those many days, the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. See, so you see it again. God hears, He hears their groaning. He hears your groaning, he, he, he hears their grumbling. He hears your grumbling, but it says that God saw the people and God knew. God was faithful to his people. I mean, just think about what he did while they were were slaves in Egypt. He saw their afflictions. He heard their cry. He raised up a deliverer. He performed miracle after miracle after miracle to show his power to spread His fame, he delivered his people from slavery. He parted the Red Sea, he destroyed Pharaoh's army, he provided water and manna in the wilderness for around two million people. Like, they were slaves. They had no money. But boy, they remember the fish that they ate, right? When we complain, we have this distorted reality. We begin to believe that the past was different than what it really was. And it's a trap. It's a trap from the enemy. So the question this morning is, what has God done in your life? We are so prone to forget. We are so inclined to to doubt God, to test God, not to remember his goodness, but where has God provided for you? Numbers 11, seven to nine. Now the manna was like coriander seed and its appearance like that of Bedellin. The people went about and gathered it and ground it in hand mills or beat it in mortars and boiled it in pots and made cakes of it. Anybody like cakes? Anybody like cakes? 40 years of cakes, right? There you go. And the taste of it was like the taste of uh, cakes baked with oil. When the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell with it. So this manna tasted like wafers with, with honey. Anybody like a good, hot, warm, buttery biscuit, right? Okay, it may have not been that good. But listen, it's manna from God, right? It had to have been pretty good. It was like wafers with honey, right? It was God's provision for them. They ate manna for 40 years. Exodus chapter 16, if we rewind, it's the first time that manna was mentioned. And in Exodus chapter 16, it is the second month, the second month after they depart Egypt, And what do they do? They start grumbling. They're two months into the journey. And they've already forgot what God has done for them. The parallel story is Exodus 16. Look at it with me. Verses 2 to 3. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in, in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have... Brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So God tells Moses, Okay, Moses, here's what I'm gonna do I'm gonna rain down bread from heaven. After Moses, we might go to the Gospel of John, and we'll probably be in the Gospel of John for like three years, right? <laughs> Luke, it was 100 messages, right? We're gonna, most likely, we're gonna go to the Gospel of John. Jesus is the bread of heaven, y'all. He's the bread of heaven. He can satisfy you. So God's like, I'm raining down bread. I'm raining down provision. I'm raining down blessings. And the people, they're gonna gather a day's portion every day. And and God tells Moses, hey listen Moses, just let me give you the 411. It's a test Moses, this is a test. It's a test to see if they're gonna walk with me. I don't think we think about man being a test, it's a test. God's like, I, I, I really want to see where their heart's at. Are they going to trust me? Look at verse 8 of Exodus 16. And Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening, he's telling the people, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him, what are we? Like, who are we, right? It's not us. He says, your grumbling is not against us but against the Lord. Here's point four. Grumbling is a sign that you're not content with what God has given you. Grumbling is a sin. Complaining is a sin. Being negative about God's provision is a sin. God tells Moses, at twilight, you're gonna eat meat. In the morning, you're gonna be filled with bread Look at verses 14 to 15. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? They did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord, Yahweh, has given you to eat. A while back, A member of our church, Larry Doris, he he facilitates one of our community groups. And uh, it's a group that got launched, um, actually this past fall, which by the way, my group just launched a brand new community group. It is for newly empty nesters, no applause, no amens, okay. Newly empty nesters with uh, college or young adult age kids, right, so if you fit in that demographic and you're not in the community group, Come talk to me, I'll get you plugged in, all right? So Larry Doris, he sent this to me, and I've been holding on to it because I thought, this is so good. He has done his work on this. And uh, he kind of brought it home. He kind of, first, 21st century, so let me read it for you. This is what he says. Well, here is Moses, out in the wilderness with 2.5 million people and no provisions. And the people began complaining about being taken out to the desert to die. God comes through again with water, quail, and manna, enough to feed 2.5 million people for 40 years. At a half gallon per person, get ready for it. He's done done his work, man. At a half gallon per person, which doesn't allow for animals or washing, that would be 1.25 million gallons of water. 97 large tanker trucks like you see at the Costco gas station. Come on now. 2.5 million loaves of bread, 245 large, 245 large, 53-foot Bonds trailers, and 2.5 million quails. They're pretty small birds, he said, in parentheses, every day. Now, double that every Friday, since they had to collect twice as much as they didn't do any work on the Sabbath, and he, and, he did, and, he, and he did that every day for 40 years. For me, the size of the God I serve is often lost until I put it into perspective that I can understand. Amen. Isn't that good? That's good. Larry Doris, you're preaching, man. Come on, man. So the problem is, when we complain, we are saying to God, your provision is not enough. I don't like what you've given me. I mean, we, 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 uh, we, what do we complain about? We complain about our jobs? You know, didn't get the promotion, didn't get the pay raise. You, you complain about the employees, the person next to you in your cubicle. You're like, I can't stand them, right? We, we just complain. We, we complain about, you know, our kids. We complain about our spouses. We complain about relationships. We complain, we complain about the church. Which, by the way, if you send me an anonymous connection card and you complain, if it's anonymous, I don't read anonymous connection cards. I'm just telling you. So you're just wasting your time, right? I think I've thrown a lot of anonymous connection cards. I tell Sharon, our admin, I said, if it's anonymous, put in the trash, Sharon. All right. I do want to hear from you, right? And I do listen. But we complain about the sermon is too long. Not today. The sermon is too short. The, the, the music's too loud. The music's too soft. There's not enough hymns. There's too many hymns. It has too much of a rock beat. It's not much of a rock beat. There's a fog machine. There's no fog machine. You know, we complain about all these things. And we complain about the HVAC system if it's too warm, if it's too cold. Now, I'd rather take the complaining about the, the weather, the, the feel in the room, than like my sermon or any other things, right? So <laughs> have at it, man. Have at it, right? If, you, if it's too cold, hey, we can live with that, right? We just complain. The enemy wants to use a spirit of discontent in your life to get you not to trust God. What fuels negativity? I think several things, having a critical eye. If you're always critical, always looking for wrong, always looking for, you know, just being nitpicky, right? Having wrong expectations, you know? I think that's the the key to life, the key to marriage is, right? Expectations, right? Don't have high expectations. Just have pretty low expectations. Then when things go really well, hey man, you're pumped, you're happy, right? Um, If you have negative friends, man, if you have negative friends, there, there may be a tendency for you to join in, to be like them. Another thing that fuels negativity, unresolved hurt. There's a lot of things, anger masks a lot of things. Anger, negativity, unresolved hurt, you've been hurt by someone, that may cause you to be negative, critical, may cause you to lash out. Maybe time, like bad time management, right? If you, don't, if you don't have enough stuff to do, you're trying to fill your calendar so that you feel significant. If you have, you know, I think I said that wrong. If you have a lot of time on your hands, you're trying to, you know, fill the calendar, right? If you don't have enough time, then you're racing around with this hurriedness, with this anxiety, with this stress, and sometimes you, you dump on other people. You're critical, you're negative, you're frustrated. Look at Numbers chapter 11, 10 to, 10 to 15. Moses heard the people weeping throughout their clans, everyone at the foot of, uh, of his tent. And the anger of the Lord blazed hotly, and Moses was displeased. Moses said to the Lord, now this is not one of Moses' finest moments. The, the people are complaining and then Moses, he starts complaining towards God, right? He's bitter, he's frustrated, he's venting. Moses says to the Lord, why have you dealt ill with your servant? Like Moses is like, I'm getting the raw end of the deal here. Like well, what have I done to deserve this? Why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Did I conceive all this people? Did I give them birth? That you should say to me, carry them in your bosom. As a nurse carries a nursing child to the land that you swore to give their fathers. Where am I to get meat to give to all this people? It's almost like Moses has forgotten. He's forgotten God's past faithfulness. For they weep before me and say, give us meat that we may eat. I am not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once. If I find favor in your sight, that I may not see my wretchedness. Moses, he's just fed up. He's a leader. He comes to God, and he's very honest. He says, God, I can't carry the burden. I can't do this anymore. And he's frustrated. Moses like, God, I would rather die than continue leading these people. Can you imagine leading 2 million people? Even though he had delegated, his father-in-law gave him great advice, and he had leaders, and he had people over people. And, but, but still, he was, he was carrying the weight of, of leading all of these people. Here's a leadership principle, fill in the blank. Take your problems to God. You know, as a leader, you're called to lead. And not everyone's gonna follow at times. And when you're frustrated, you know, don't take it out on the people. Just get before God, be real. It's not a fine moment for Moses. But he's very transparent, he's very real. He's, he's crying out to God, he's bringing his problems to God. Moses is pleading, he's interceding for the people. And God is gracious, and you know, what, you know what God does? Look at verses 16 to 17. Then the Lord said to Moses, gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting, and let them take their stand there with you. And I will come down and talk with you there. And I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you may not bear it yourself alone. How did God respond to Moses when Moses came before God and shared his heart? Did God just push Moses down? Did he criticize him? Was he angry with Moses? No, he was kind. He was a good father. He listened to Moses. God understood what Moses was going through. And God answered Moses' prayer, his cry, his desperate cry for help. But God said, listen, we we gotta pick 70 men, 70 men that will will lead with the same godliness and character like you, Moses, and we're we're gonna spill the spirit from your life onto their life. You are never meant to lead alone. I don't care if that's the church. I don't care if that's your, you own a business. You were never meant to lead alone. You have to surround yourself with people that can help you. That's one of the things, I mean, so many things I love about our church. I love that we have leaders who are leading. We have board members that are leading. We have deacons that are leading. We have community group facilitators that are leading, that are caring for people. We have ministry team leaders. We have a staff team that does a phenomenal job. We have leaders that are leading. It cannot fall on one person. Moses is recognizing that. Now, I want us to fast forward to the end of the chapter, and I want to close with a few thoughts, and we're going to be done. In verse, verses 31 to 34, so real quick, before I read this, in Exodus chapter 16, you remember the people cried out and God provided manna and he provided quail, right? They were grumbling, but there was no, there was no judgment. There was no consequence, right? God was gracious and kind. Now you're going to see a repeat of Exodus 16. The people are grumbling. We want meat, right? So let's look at it. Then a wind from the Lord sprang up and it brought quail from the sea and let them fall beside the camp about a day's journey on this side and a day's journey on the other side around the camp and about two cubits above the ground, several feet, several feet. And the people rose all that day and all night and all the next day and gathered the quail. Those who gathered least gathered 10 homers. And they spread them out for themselves all around the camp. While the meat was yet between their teeth, before it was consumed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people. And the Lord struck down the people with a very great plague. Therefore, the name of that place was called Kibroth Hathavah. Because there they buried the people who had the craving. Remember the rabble in verse 4? I think it was verse 4. The rabble, they had this craving for meat. And then it says, then the people wept again. Right? They wept the first time in Exodus 16. God provides quail. He provides manna. Now they're weeping again. Now the rabble, because of the desire, they're dead. Here's point five. We're going to end with this. Sometimes your discontentment will get you more than you want. God hears His people complain. And then what does he do? God provides for his people. He makes provision, right? He's good. He's faithful. He's gracious. He's kind. He provides quail. He provides food, right? But we know that in the beginning of chapter 11, God brings fire from heaven, burns up the the edges of the camp. God's not playing. He's not a fan of discontentment. The difference is between Exodus 16 and Numbers chapter 11 is this. Are you ready? I'm gonna land the plane on this thought. Sin has consequences. Sin has consequences. The people, they knew Yahweh. God revealed himself to them. He told them how to live life. He said, this is life. This is true life. This is freedom. This is how you should live before me. This is how you please me. This is how you honor me. This, this is sin. He lays it all out. And the people, what do they do? They engage in evil. Remember what I said at the very beginning of the sermon? Remember what I said at the very beginning? When I, when, when we, when I read 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 6 to 11, it says, Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. When you're not satisfied in God and you don't believe his provision is enough, you are engaging in sin. You're you're engaging in something that they engaged in, which was evil. And so as believers in Christ, let's allow the Holy Spirit to challenge us this week. This is going to be a very hard task for me, and I surely think it's going to be a hard task for you. Let's really engage, tap into the Spirit this week and say, God, help me not to complain. Help me not to forget about your past faithfulness. Help me, Lord, to remember your provision and that what you give me, your grace is enough. Let's pray.